This is episode 221 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are How to Survive Winter in the City, How to Acquire Intelligence Post-SHTF, and Conflicted, Which Life to Save? What Would You Do? Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we get started, you can make sure that you get the Prepper Website Podcast delivered to your preferred device without fail. We make it very easy for you to subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or any other favorite podcast network. And if you do feel you are receiving value from the podcast, we do appreciate your kind reviews. Hey, before we get started, I have a couple of news items, and one thing that I'm really excited to talk to you about here at the very beginning is uh, I've been doing this, my favorite article of the week. Basically, that's I, I get on uh, Facebook, and I talk about the, my favorite article that I read on the podcast the week before. Uh, I've been wanting to do something a little different, and of course, I think this is the week to do it. Uh, last week, we didn't have any podcasts because we were taking that little break there for the holidays. And so I have asked Erica Nygaard, who is uh, the uh, uh, editor and, and the writer over at uh, Living Life in Rural Iowa, and you are very familiar with her articles because I, I do read her articles on the podcast, and I have asked her to come on live with me on Facebook Live, and uh, actually it's going, to, um, it's going to be broadcast on Facebook Live, but we're actually doing it like on a Google Hangouts and uh, kind of pushing it all to Facebook Live. Uh, and she's going to come on, talk a little bit about herself, and then also talk a little bit about uh, her favorite three articles uh, that she has written over throughout the years. And uh, she, you know, we were talking earlier, we kind of did a, a little bit of a uh, test to make sure everything was working correctly and make sure our connections were were syncing up and everything. And uh, she said, Todd, I can talk about preparedness, homesteading, uh, living a frugal life. I mean, there's just so much that, you know, she can talk about. And so really looking forward to that. Don't have a time frame as far as how long we'll go. Um, you know, I'm thinking maybe 30 minutes to an hour. But uh, we're going to set that off around 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. And so if you can make it on Facebook Live, I'm going to link to it. If you've never come over to, maybe you're somebody who's just listened to the podcast and you've never come over over to Prepper Website or to the Facebook group or to the Facebook page. And uh, so we're, this is going to be on the Facebook page. And so uh, you, I'm going to link to it in the show notes so that you can go over there and you can hopefully, you know, if you're inter interested in uh, listening to uh, to this interview, uh, you can come and be a part of that. I'm really looking forward to that one. So that's going to be Thursday, January 4th at 8 p.m. Central Time with Erica Nygaard of Living Life in Rural Iowa. And so looking forward to that uh, completely. So hopefully you'll be uh, able to join us there. Uh, just a couple of news items that I was... Uh, that I looked at today and thought I'd share them with you. Uh, Mount St. Helens is an uh, you know an active volcano. Had four times as many earthquakes than usual last month, according to this article. Um, they were saying, let me see, earlier today, January 3rd, at least 17 earthquakes hit near the active volcano in Washington State in rapid succession between 12:30 a.m. and 6:28 a.m. U.S. Pacific time. 
And so uh, the biggest one being a 3.9 on the Richter scale. And so they were, they were talking about that this is kind of mimicking the other times when it has gone off. Uh, it went off, I think, uh, here t- starting 2004, October 1st, 2004, uh, and it uh, finally settled down in 2008, according to this article. And then it recounted um, uh, the, the real big er- eruption in 1980, and I, I barely remember that one. I know, you know they were talking about it on the news. I saw it. I know that there was people who didn't want to leave. But I didn't realize so many people died. Uh, there was 57 people uh, lost their life. A lot of it was because of asphyxiation due to inhaling hot ash. But they were saying that many of the bodies were not were also never found. Uh, I guess because of the uh, I do remember lava flow if I remember correctly. Uh, lava flow on that one. Uh, but I mean I was a I was a kid. I mean what was what was I about seven years old eight years old. Uh, around that and uh, so you know that's kind of crazy that that kind of going out uh volcanoes you know we always think about uh, the the big one you know yellowstone going off but uh you know there's smaller ones that can disrupt your life as well another article that i read or at least another article that i came across uh i believe this was off a of drudge report was uh, america's power grid is showing signs of strain during the brutal cold and uh, definitely something that uh, is out there that would cause concern because uh, so many people are dependent on the electricity. And I know a lot of you up north, man, and I, I've talked about this before. I, man, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I could do it. Yeah, I was thinking about this because there was a time you know, a couple of years ago where we're in, we were in between churches and we were really praying about, you know, God, where do you really want us? And and we even thought about moving up. Uh, you know, if it was moving to another state, I didn't really necessarily want to leave Texas, but if God was calling us to another state, to another assignment somewhere, then, uh, we, you know, we were, we would do that. And, uh, you know, I was always different things that would kind of come up, you know, with, uh, during the, the summertime and springtime, everything's all great and everything. But when you get, uh, you know, to the panhandle of Texas and, and, uh, above that, I mean, you're dealing with, you know, snow and stuff and, and things that you're not, uh, we're not really familiar with down here. So I always had that in the back of my mind. If we were to move somewhere, there's a lot of things I would have to, to be prepared for and learn and know and things that we just take for granted here because, you know, a lot of you up north are heating. According to this article, they were talking about the strains of uh, the fuel to uh because to power the power generation stations right um let me see here america's power grid is starting to show signs of fatigue as the nation grapples with a record-breaking cold snap uh in the midwest some natural gas plants are having trouble getting supplies uh forcing outages and increased use of fuel oil um let me see some other plants in new england that have been burning oil are running short on fuel Anyway, so they talked a little bit about that and then about the price of uh, fuel, how it goes up in uh, severe wintertime because, uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of demand and it's burning and supplies are, are low, especially if, you know, there's snowy conditions and and uh, conditions where it's not easy to to uh, to get things and supplies in and out. And so, uh, you know, we take for granted that. Uh, we we can turn the heat on down here uh, just by flipping a switch. A lot of you guys over, uh, up north, you know, are using so many different means to to heat your homes. And uh, man, just really, uh, you know, keeping you in my in my thoughts and prayers up there because things can get a little crazy because uh, the the cold is very severe. I know that on the Facebook group, 
uh, you know, Barbara was saying, how's everybody managing? And, uh, you know, some, some people were answering, it's, it's cold and you can handle the cold for a little bit, but it usually it just kind of like it dips and then it, and then it warms back up. But especially those of you that are on homesteads and you have animals and you're dealing with all that kind of stuff, man, I just can't even, uh, imagine all the things that you, you guys are going through right now and, uh, having to deal with. You know, I get email from people every once in a while that tell me that they're working in tr- on their tractor and they're listening to the podcast, or they're, uh, you know, they're, they're they've they've got it on a on their like an iPod or MP3 player or something like that while they're working out on their homestead. And uh, I I just you know I appreciate you being a part of the podcast and listening, but man, that is uh, some serious work right now. You know, we we look at pictures of homesteading and we're like, oh man, that's so beautiful and great and everything. When uh, the gardens are nice and green and everything, but when it is cold like this, man, I, c- I can't even imagine. I have no concept of, of what you guys are going through uh, when y'all are in negative numbers up there and you're not even getting It's like, hey, we warmed up. We got the zero. I mean, that is absolutely crazy. So uh, keeping you in our thoughts and prayers, uh, please be safe out there. And, uh, you know, knowing that our power grid is, uh, you know, is fragile, even even not we, we face that down here in the south when it's really severe heat. Uh, we have brownouts and stuff like that. Uh, that's happened to us even in the you know, on campus when I was a campus administrator. But, uh, you know, that happens up north for you guys, I guess, with the severe cold and then uh, the freezing of power lines and how they can snap and all that kind of stuff. So talking about the cold and and, uh, the freezing temperatures up there, I started seeing articles today about uh, winter storm Grayson to uh, undergo bombogenesis. And uh, I was like, okay, what is is that? But uh, basically, it's kind of like it's a a blizzard, a typhoon, cyclone blizzard kind of rolled up into one where you have uh, heavy damaging winds, a lot of snow, uh, blizzard conditions and so it's supposed to be in new england i guess those of you if you're listening now uh the, this is the thursday podcast i mean you're going to be in that and i don't know well uh, just some some highlights here of this article uh winter storm grayson first impacted portions of the southeast on wednesday snow and high winds will next affect the northeast coastline thursday and thursday night near blizzard conditions could occur along the immediate coast from maine to northeastern north carolina Moderate coastal flooding is possible along the New England coast on Thursday. Power outages and tree damage are also possible in parts of eastern New England. So I don't know to what extent it will come inland, uh, but in how far down the east coast it will it will go. Um, well, hold on here. Uh, blizzard warnings have been posted for much of the coast from Maine to northeastern North Carolina, including Boston, Portland, Maine, Atlantic City, New Jersey, and Norfolk. Folk, folk Virginia so craziness over there guys just uh, be careful and uh, you know s- stay prepared and uh, stay aware of what's going on so again like I said keeping you in my thoughts and prayers and so that's one reason why I decided to read this first article uh, how to survive winter in the city it comes to us from survivalpedia.com so let's go ahead and read this one the winds of change are blowing and we need to be ready when they do In addition to the current political climate, we also have the actual climate to deal with, and for most of us, that means dealing with winter temperatures and conditions. 
Surviving a disaster in July is one thing. You may be hot, but you can reasonably take care of yourself in a manner that keeps you alive as long as you have food, water, and shelter with no extra effort. Winter, on the other hand, is an entirely different survival beast. In some climates, you can be dead within minutes if exposed to the weather without proper attire and equipment. The two biggest causes that I see over and over when someone, somebody gets in trouble or even dies because of winter conditions are a lack of knowledge and a lack of preparedness. One usually goes hand in hand with the other, but there are those out here who know what to do but don't believe anything will happen to them. Those are the ones who really upset me because they knew. So the first bit of advice that I'm going to offer is this. Don't make the potentially lethal mistake of thinking that it won't happen to you. If you knock on the pearly gates and ask to interview folks who knew but didn't prepare, they'll no doubt tell you one thing. They didn't think it would really happen. So learn from their mistakes. Usual disasters to expect in winter. This is going to depend heavily on your location. If you're in the northern U.S., you're going to see lots of snow, ice, and brutally cold temperatures. If you're in the southern part of the U.S., you won't likely see as much snow, but you may see heavy rains and low temperatures. Along with that winter weather, there are some usual disasters that you should pretty much assume are like possibilities, or likely possibilities. These aren't considering things like World War III, so account for the big disasters separately. Frozen pipes. If you've lived through a northern winter in an older house, I bet you can remember at least one morning when you got up, went to turn on the water to make coffee or brush your teeth, and got nothing. Faucet wide open, but not a drop coming out. Congratu congratulations, you've lived through frozen pipes. Now, this is a situation that can range from inconvenient to financially disastrous, depending upon whether they just froze or if they froze and burst. If they just froze, you have to wait it out. A blow dryer is often helpful, but not always, depending on where it was frozen. If they burst, look out. It's going to be expensive and messy. You're going to have to replace the pipe. Plus, when it defrosts, you're going to have water everywhere. Or, depending on where it froze, you may have a burst that leaks immediately. Frozen car doors and locks. I can't even tell you how many times I've gone outside to get in my car and the locks were frozen. Or the doors were completely frozen shut. Fortunately, this is a relatively easy fix. Buy a house with a garage. Just kidding, there really are a couple of quick fixes. There are commercial de-icers you can use, but the easiest way is to find the door that seems the least stuck and push into it all the way down the sides and top in order to pop the ice loose. If that this fails, try a hair dryer. If you just force the door open, you risk damaging the seals, so be gentle. Same thing with the keys. Don't torque on it when it's obviously not working. If the lock freezes, try warming the key, then putting it into the lock because what's happened is the water's gotten down in there and frozen the mechanisms together. Hand sanitizer works too as long as it's the alcohol-based type. And again, there are commercial de-icers. Blizzards. If you've ever been through a good blizzard, or a bad one depending upon your take on blizzards, then you know that they're death traps if you're not careful. Just a few concerns that accompany blizzards are collapsed roof, down power lines, decreased or no visibility during the storm, extreme wind, down trees that can prevent you from leaving the house, and deep snowdrifts. Your best bet when you know that a blizzard is coming is to get ready to hunker down. This means have your food, water, and med stockpiled, 
have plenty of wood ready in a location close enough to the house that you don't have to go far to get it. Have a rope tied from the house to necessary points that you may need to get to outside, such as to the barn or the emergency vehicles. Have candles and other non-electric sources of light handy. Have a backup heat source because there's a good chance that you'll lose power in the storm. Have plenty of blankets ready. Road ice. It's impossible to avoid unless you don't ever leave the house. At some point in the winter, you're going to drive on ice. I can't overemphasize the value of tire chains and caution. Between the two, you have a pretty good chance of getting where you're going if you absolutely must drive. If you begin to skid on ice, steer into the skid rather than away from it in order to help you regain control. Don't hit the brakes. Tap them instead. Leave plenty of room between you and the car in front of you and pay extra close attention to your surroundings. If kids or dogs run out in front of you, your stopping time is going to be much slower than a dry road. Power outages. Losing power in winter can quickly become a critical situation and the weight of snow on lines frequently causes it. You need to be prepared regardless of whether you live in an apartment or in a farmhouse in the country. You're going to need two things. At least one source of heat to keep you warm and one to heat up food water, food and water. Lights are nice too. I recommend keeping some kind of space heater that doesn't require electricity such as a camp heater that runs on oil or propane. Fireplaces are great too if you have one. Best of all would be a wood burning stove if you're in a place where you can have one. A few suggestions. If you get stuck outside in the survival situation in the summer, you're likely, you'll likely survive as long as you can find food and water. Not so in the winter. I know that we've talked mostly about city survival, but there's, there, these rules apply to anywhere. It's imperative that the first thing you do if SHTF during the winter is make sure that you have solid shelter and a source of heat that will keep you from fe- freezing to death. Be aware that this is going to be everybody else's goal too. So if it gets really bad, you want to stay out of sight. After you have shelter, then it's time to make sure that you have the other two keys that are critical to your survival, water and food. Hopefully you've managed to stockpile enough and are able to just hunker down in your home and wait it out. But if not, have a backup plan. Then have a backup plan for your backup plan. Contingencies are always a good thing when you're trying to manage something as fickle as the weather. Check your supplies, especially the ones in your car, every week or so to make sure that they're still dry, unfrozen, and in good shape. Nothing would suck more than pulling out the one clean, dry change of clothes you think you have only to find out that they've had a quart of oil leak all over them. Keep track of that. Surviving winter is is a different animal than surviving other times of the year. But if you manage it properly and plan it well, things can most certainly turn out just fine. Just learn the tricks and be prepared. It's all you can do. All right. So uh, a couple of uh, comments here that you might want to check out. But again, you know, and some of you up north are probably, you know, you might like roll your eyes and like, Todd, come on, really? That's some really basic stuff. But again, you know, I'm thinking there might be people that are listening to this podcast that are traveling up north. Yeah, I have friends who, uh, you know, that are teachers and during the holiday break, they went up north and, uh, you know, they had some severe weather. Uh, So you might have that, you know, people that are doing that. 
You might have people that, like, like I was talking about before, who moved from a southern state up north, and this is their first, you know, go around, and uh, they're knee deep in it right now, right? And so some of it is kind of like, well, you know, if you're, uh, you know, on the east coast right now, and you're going to be exhibit, experiencing blizzard conditions, it's kind of like, well, what the heck, you know, unless you live right next to a grocery store. Where you can go over there and you know stock up really quick, you know that would if if you know uh, if there's supplies on the sh- on the store shelves, uh, but you know you know what I'm saying there's there's always those people that need to know and hopefully those of you that are out there that uh, are familiar uh, maybe you, you you do pick up one or two things or you can share some uh, helpful information out there uh, just like some of the people have been doing on the Facebook group. They're just kind of getting information out there and uh, helpful information. So if you do have some helpful information, come on over to uh, or you know, some uh, bits of advice that maybe you have figured out or you know and, and you just sometimes we take for granted that everybody knows all this stuff but you know a lot of the times we don't and so you can come over to episode 221 i'll definitely share them uh you know in the next episode uh and share that out on the next podcast or come over to the facebook group and share that important information out i think that's always good when we are sharing uh you know helpful sometimes even life-saving information with other people all right so let's go ahead and move on to our next article our next article comes to us from modernsurvivalonline.com and this article is entire it, it, this article is entitled How to Acquire Intelligence Post SHTF. When the SHTF information will become a very powerful commodity. Initially the breaking news about the doomsday disaster will likely blare from the television screen, radio, the internet in general and social media platforms in particular. But Those high-tech methods of communication so many people currently take for granted will almost assuredly cease within possibly hours to days after the apocalyptic event begins. There really isn't a single SHTF scenario that will not sooner or later impact or completely take down the power grid. Whether the disaster is natural or man-made or even a pandemic at some point, workers will be unable, too fearful to return to the place of employment. After the initial stages of the doomsday disaster, local news is going to probably become far more important and critical to your survival than national news. If we are in the midst of a Red Dawn type of World War III scenario, you will want to know how the battle is going everywhere on American soil, but learning about hostilities occurring in or near your neck of the woods will be an immediate and ongoing necessity. Whether you are bugging in or bugging out, knowing what is going on around you should be a priority. The news you collect will guide you to make informed decisions that will impact both the immediate and long-term survival of your family or mutual assistance group. If modern communication systems go down immediately after an SHTF scenario, a communication plan and a low-tech backup should be practiced and in place. The odds of you and your loved ones being all together or at home when the apocalypse hits are at least or at the very best 50%. Concerns about children, especially young children, being away from home at school for the bulk of each day has prompted a growing number of preppers to educate their offspring at home. Homeschooling is legal in all 50 states, but some states have a multitude of obstacles parents seeking to take control of their children's education must hurdle before opening up a home classroom. 2 meters and 10 meters two-way radios. Purchasing quality long-range two-way radios will allow you to pick up the communications of others in your area, 
public alerts as long as they are still broadcasting, keep in touch with loved ones as they make their way to either your bugging in location or to a meeting point before journeying, journeying to the bug out location. The two-way radios will also be extremely useful when monitoring the perimeter of your survival retreat and when part of the family or group is off-site to hunt, fish, or go scavenging. The radio must be stored properly in a Faraday cage to harden them against an EMP doomsday disaster and a multitude of batteries and or chargers also stored properly and a means of recharging the radios, solar generators, etc. A private family or mutual group channel switching systems and communications code should also be developed to keep your location and conversations as covert as possible when necessary. Once you garner a list of frequencies, both national and local, are highly recommended, you should be able to hear all public service traffic, meaning communications by police, firefighters, EMS, and emergency alerts filtered through a a county law enforcement dispatch service. FRS and GMRS radios. The family radio service was created in the mid-1990s. The same frequencies are now commonly used by retail stores and other commercial facilities or communications between workers. The the radios are basically an upgraded walkie-talkie and utilize channelized frequencies. Both General Mobile Radio Service, or GMRS, and FRS radios use UHF, or high-frequency channels. Typically, models of both radios come with DCS-CTSS squelch codes. The squelch function allows the user to eliminate unwanted traffic. Most FRS radios have a one-fourth to one-and-a-half-mile usage range. GMR radios can transmit a little further, but the surrounding terrain will impact their signal capabilities. FRS and GMRS frequencies. Channels 1 through 7 are reserved for both GMRS and FRS radio transmissions. Channel 8 through 14 are designated FRS frequencies only. Channel 15 through 22 require a license issued by the FCC to utilize and are reserved exclusively for GMRS radios. Cell phones. The cellular phone system cannot be relied upon as a primary or sole means of communication during an SHTF disaster. We can all remember how jammed the system became after 9-11 or after the 9-11 terror attack, even though the power grid was not impacted. But using the phones to attempt a phone call or a text message should still be part of the overall prepping communication plan. There are also several free apps that turn a cell phone into a decent, short-range, about 2-3 to mile two-way radio. To ensure you can use your cell phones as a means of high-tech communication as long as possible, store them in a small and portable Faraday cage when they are not in use. Purchase extra charging cords, car adapter ends, and portable chargers the type that can be powered either by batteries or via plugging into a USB port on a computer or charger adapter. The portable chargers should be should all be stored in a Faraday cage at home, the car, in a purse, briefcase, or backpack, and at work. Citizen Band or CB radios. These 1970s popular devices are still around and do not contain the same degree of sensitive components that modern two-way radios and cell phones do. Still, they should be stored properly along with repair parts in a Faraday cage until needed. Weather radios. NOAA broadcasts share both weather and emergency alerts. There are about 425 NOAA transmitters in the United States and our territories. NOAA operates on several different frequencies and often uses local ham radio operators as weather spotters and to share early warning alerts during disasters. Satellite phones. 
these pricey pieces of modern communication technology will probably work longer than cell phones during an SHTF scenario, but would be damaged by a solar flare or EMP as well, if not stored properly in a Faraday cage. Drones. These popular toys for children and adults can now be purchased for anywhere between 50 to 500 with models possessing a decent range, typically available for around $100 each. Expensive drones come equipped with a camera, but more affordable models have a carriage to hold a smartphone that can be used to view and record photos and videos via an app. Flying the drone away from your bug out location and prepping retreat will give you valuable insight about an approaching threat and general activity outside of your immediate vicinity. Ham Radio The network of ham radio operators both around the country and the world will likely offer the most valuable and in-depth intelligence concerning the broader scope and fallout of the SHTF disaster. The typically anomaly priced 5 watt ham radio has the capability to transmit approximately 10 to 15 miles over relatively flat ground when a ham radio is operating using a communications repeater tower. Its signal can sometimes travel halfway across the United States. Operating a ham radio requires training and a license, at least in a pre-SHTF world. Taking the time to garner the training will allow you to network with other operators and establish a friendly relation now that will hopefully translate into a reliable information relay resource after disaster strikes. Listening or viewing only devices. Bugs. Placed in or your mailbox or other structures near a road could alert you to conversations by potential attackers. Trail cameras and home surveillance systems could also be your eyes and in some cases even your ears around the perimeter of your survival retreat. CB radio operation tips and frequencies. The squelch serves as the control mechanism for incoming communications. You can set the squelch to off when not in use to eliminate radio static noise. The squelch can also be set to constantly receive any frequency signals in range or the strongest signals. A CB radio can be used in either a vehicle or the home. Most radios come complete with a mounting bracket, microphone, and power cord. An antenna is required for a citizen band radio to function. The better and bigger the antenna, the more likely you are to get access to strong signals. A SWR meter is also a necessary component for CB radio and is usually sold separately. The SWR meter allows you to properly adjust and tune the radio antenna. If you do not tune the antenna properly, you will not only receive poor performance but could also damage the CB radio. Many varieties of citizen band radio models also boast a public address system mode. An external public address horn must be purchased and attached to the vehicle or home in order for the loudspeaker function to work via a weatherproof speaker. For OPSEC reasons, you would not use a CB public address horn or any type of regular, on any type of regular basis, but in an emergency situation, you could use to reach neighbors and members of the family and mutual assistance group who are experiencing two-way radio problems. One of the things I like about this article here is that it gives um, certain uh, channels in, that you should monitor. And so there's CB channels that preppers should monitor, and uh, it gives frequency details as well. So if you want to put, put them into a, a device that you can just dial into the frequency and, and get them. So I'm not going to read all of them here, but there's some specifics to preppers like channel 3 uh, on your CB. Uh, for pre it's a prepper CB network, channel 4 American Prepper Network. Um, and then, you know, it tells you the other ones, the other common ones for boaters and, and uh, truck drivers and all that kind of stuff. 
uh, Channel 37, uh, Prepper 37 channel, and then uh, Prepper Free Free Band and CB Radio frequencies. So uh, you know, there's some other ones here like CB3 Prepper Channel 36, Survivalist Channel 37, Prepper CB Network, uh, Free Band, and so you have all these frequencies here that you can. Uh, you can uh, put into or to make make a record of, I guess, uh, print them out. And then there's ham radio shorthand, and I'm not going to read them all because there's a lot of them here, and they just they're you know short codes for what you know, they're actually trying to say here. And then there's another uh, list of ham radio frequencies preppers should monitor. And I guess one of the reasons why, and I mean, they're all different kinds of, uh, you know, like uh, Texas Emergency System, North Florida, blah, blah, blah. There's, I mean, Air Force Channel, uh, you know, intercontinental traffic, all kinds of stuff here uh, that you can go ahead and, and dial in. And so if if you have um, one of the, well, actually, you can use this software with uh, with a lot of different ones, but... For instance, the the Baofeng, the really cheap ones, you know, the thirty to fifty dollar uh, ham radios, handheld portable radios, uh, the kind that you know, if for whatever reason they mess up, then you you feel a little bit better with. Um, you can use the Chirp software for that, and so basically, you get on your computer, you put in all these frequencies, you go ahead and, and dial them all in, you connect your ham radio to it with a special cord that you have to buy, and then you just uh, download it. So it's really easy to do. Uh, you'll need to practice with it a little bit. Uh, I realize that you just don't download. You have to like upload from the phone uh, and then download from the phone. But once you do that, all the channels will, you know, you can put them in pre, uh, predefined uh, channels like, you know, uh, channel one or the, you know, the presets that you go to. So you're not always having to uh, dial in the actual numbers. I mean, that, that gets to be a, a pain in the butt. But anyway, so there are some here that you should, uh, like I said, you might want to go and copy paste all of these. Or if you have, um, maybe you have one of those uh, Chrome extensions where you can turn the uh, the article into a PDF and print it out. And so you might want to print these out. It might be uh, useful to have these. All right, so let me go ahead and continue on with uh, the rest of this article. Radio cell phones and even the internet satellite all operate off of repeaters. The repeaters, which are basically massive antennas built into a tower, are designed to operate on generator power in the case of a blackout or other power grid down type emergency disaster. If the apocalyptic event was due to a solar flare or man-made EMP attack, the power may never come back on, and quite possibly damaging the repeaters beyond repair. If the SHTF event uh, had nothing to do with an EMP, yet the power grid still failed, most high-tech modes of communication would only remain operational while the generators supporting them kept on humming. And so let me just uh, briefly stop right there. I know a lot of people that are, you know, are ham operators, that they have systems that would be able to continue working. Now, the repeaters and different things like that uh, wouldn't, but uh, if you are in a situation, if you're in a place where uh, you can bounce off of other ham radio operators, and uh, they have, you know, some of these people. I mean, I, I have, uh, I know some people who have really, really big antennas in their backyard, and they have means of battery backups and solar uh, panels to be able to charge their batteries, so they're able to stay in communication. So, um, you know, there are people, even if. Uh, EMPs or you know the grid goes down or whatever not EMPs but if the grid goes down uh, there's still people out there who will be able to uh, find a means to communicate 
Low-tech intelligence acquisition systems. Just like with all things prepping, extensive planning on a low-tech communication system needs to occur and be practiced so it will function properly during an SHTF and enhance the chances of survival. Going to pre-programmed mode without hesitation will require training, especially if dealing with children, but is necessary to avoid panic when typical lines of communication fail during a disaster situation. Communication System Planning Tips Each member of the family or mutual assistance group must learn what is expected of them during a doomsday disaster. Who do they contact, what methods should they use, and in what order, and how long are they supposed to wait for a response before moving on? are just some of the questions your loved ones must know the answers to before being placed in harm's way. When and how to defy authorities must also be addressed. If you have school-aged children or grandchildren who are not educated at home, the odds of a school allowing a child to simply leave the building without an adult, even if an older sibling is walking with them, or are slim to none. A child must know how long to wait for mom or dad to show up and how to alert parents that might be coming after they flee the school that they have left on their own and what route they are traveling to reach safety. Rendezvous points might be compromised or unreachable. Each member of the family must know where a backup meeting point is located and how to leave a message for loved ones who will come behind that no one else will understand. Low-tech messaging tips. Spray paint. Leaving messages either using code words or symbols can easily and quickly be accomplished by spraying paint onto a roadway, building, or other predetermined or large landmark. Many spray paint cans or paint pens are small enough to carry in a child's backpack, men's pocket, or woman's purse. Colored bandanas. This is simply a simply and lightweight form of low-tech and nonverbal method of communication. A color-coded key the family carries with them, or better yet, memorizes, can rel relay a simple message when tied to a tree, hidden under or by a landmark, or tied to a sign. Bandanas are cheap and can be purchased by color in bulk online. Colored bed linens can be cut into strips and used to communicate a message to loved ones as well. Emergency caches. PVC pipe filled with messaging material, pen and paper, colored bandanas, spray paint, etc., and some basic survival supplies can be buried in a shallow trench along routes frequently traveled by the family members. Coded notes can be left inside the cache or in a predetermined spot for loved ones who may be following or searching for a missing member of the family. All right, so I, I don't like the idea of having a cache just for, um, just for messaging materials. I do like the idea of the mini spray paint cans uh, that you know you, that you can that you can have available in order to leave a message. Um, I, I think that might be if you're you're looking at at, at that route. But um, you know you should have an idea of uh, you know a plan already put in place so everyone knows how everything is supposed to function, and uh, you know that's important uh, to, to to have there. So I think the communications I. I I know that I've done a couple of these articles in the past, but I think that it's a very important thing that you should kind of think about and, and work to put together some kind of plan for your family, but then also have some means of, of getting uh, information. So even if that is one of those crank radios that have, uh, you know, AM, FM, have uh, NOAA, and then even shortwave-based uh, radio that you can get, and then maybe having one of those handheld uh, ham radios, you know, even if you, you can't afford a big ham radio, these are pretty inexpensive. And then you have different ways of, uh, 
for instance, the survival antenna, they, uh, they're an advertiser on Prepper website, but I think for about 50, 60 bucks, you get this, and, and all it is is it's a, it's a coax cable, basically, uh, but uh, it comes with the ability to connect it to a Balfung, and then you just run it up a tree, and so then you add to your, your antenna greatly, and it's very, very portable, so you can wrap it up and put it in a back, backpack or whatever. And so, uh, you know, you have different things that you can do to make it uh, one of these portable ham radios a little bit better. And they're cheap enough to, if you want to have one out and you use one, and then you want to put one in a Faraday cage. I, I'm not of the... Uh, of of the school that you know oh my gosh i'm prepping for emp and everything's got to be in a in a faraday cage if you put everything in a faraday cage how how are you ever going to use it how are you ever going to practice with it and stuff unless you're buying double of everything right i'm going to buy a ham radio two of these ham radios one's going to go in the faraday cage one's going to go you know one i'm going to play with or whatever in and and use and and use on a regular basis so uh, you have that you know aspect of it i do think that you should have means of communication that should be something that you work towards and you're putting into place and again i like the fact of you know the balfungs i'm familiar with uh with that and the chirp software where you can easily plug in the uh the emergency uh frequencies of your area right so i wouldn't want to put emergency uh frequencies of you know something way up north right but uh, definitely, you know, in the Texas area, in, in different, in like Harris County, those types of things, I'd want to put those in to uh, into the Chirp software so that I can download those frequencies into my to my Balfung. And there's just there's a lot of information online where you can download uh, that you can download and and uh, that will help you walk through that Balfung. Uh, just a lot of uh, or in that Chirp software to get that information. Uh, into your radio. All right, so that's over at Modern Survival Online. Like I said, you might want to go and print out all those frequencies. Uh, that would be good to have. All right, so uh, on the Thursday podcast, I always do a conflicted scenario. Conflicted is a card game that uh, is, is very popular, but it provides apocalyptic scenarios. And so the the idea is that the scenario, if you really think about it, and you just don't pop off an answer. Uh, it will bring some kind of conflicted response. You know, it's uh, one of those things. that's kind of like, oh, what do I really do here? And so my uh, my advice always is, uh, it's really easy when you hear the uh, when you hear the the scenario to say, oh, I would I would never be in that situation. That's not the idea. The idea is, okay, you're in this scenario with what you know about preparedness and what you know about survival, how would you respond in this situation? Because in reality, you never know where you might be. You might find yourself in a weird situation. You know, in in these uh, these exercises to be able to work through them, I believe are helpful. And, uh, you know, put a little bit of thought into it. Just don't like, oh, you know, th- that's easy. This is what I would do. So this one's a little bit more uh, where I think you would have to be a little bit more thoughtful on this one. Um, it's, uh, you know, uh, one of those conflicted ones that, man, it's, uh, uh, you would hate to be in. So, uh, here it goes. After hunting for game in the wilderness, two of your friends were bitten by the same kind of poisonous snake. You are the only one unharmed and with one vial of anti-venom antidote. Both of your friends have lost consciousness and they have their kids and wives waiting for their return, but you can save only one of them. A full dose of the antidote is needed in order to save a life. Anything less would be just a waste. What criteria would you use to save one of them and why? 
All right, so here we go. Let's, uh, I'm going to read it one more time. After hunting for game in the wilderness, two of your friends were bitten by the same kind of poisonous snake. You were the only one unharmed and with one vial of anti-venom antidote. Both of your friends have lost consciousness and they have their kids and wives waiting for their return, but you can save only one of them. A full dose of the antidote is needed in order to save a life. Anything less would be just a waste. What criteria would you use to save one of them and why? All right, so there you go. That's the conflicted scenario for the Thursday podcast. Uh, you can just feel free to work through that on your own. Maybe you talk that through with a significant other, or you can come over to Ed That Matters. I have the, the link in the show notes, and you can come over to Ed That Matters, and you can drop your uh, you know how you would resolve this, uh, this conflicted scenario in the comments section. That's always uh, great to hear. Uh, or to read what people, how people would go about uh, taking care of this. And again, that's over at edthatmatters.com. And uh, like always, I link to all of the articles that I read uh, in the show notes. And so uh, definitely do uh, recommend that you do visit these websites because there's just so much inf- good information there. And then always the comment sections always have really great stuff there. Hey guys, don't forget, uh, if you can, a little bit later on t- this evening at 8 p.m. Central Time, uh, like I said earlier in the podcast, I will be interviewing Erica Nygaard of Living Life in Rural Iowa on the Prepper website Facebook page. And uh, I have linked to that in the show notes as well. And so I hope to see you there. So thanks so much for being a part of episode 221. I'd love uh, to connect with you on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We make it very easy for you uh, to, uh, to connect with us on social media if you come over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.